Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome to the ECDEV Network. My name is Dan Taylor, and I am co-hosting an exciting show today with Lara Fritz. And as we mentioned the last several times, our other co-host, uh, Bob Minhas, is off on assignment. Um, I'm the Economic Development Catalyst for the town of Innisfil, as well as being the co-host. And I also am a strategic advisor and guide to those in the profession. So I help folks with strategic plans. I help them really cut through the clutter and uh, get hyper-focused to improve their personal and professional performance and economic development results, which is, I think, what we're all interested in and I'm uh, very interested in. I'm going to turn it over to Lara to introduce herself and then we'll, we'll give some background on the room and open it up. Sounds fantastic. Thank you so much, Dan. I'm Lara Fritz, and I am an economic development community vitality champion uh, with expertise in affordable housing, commercial revitalization, and economic recovery. I am currently an advisor with Aspira USA, where we assist women and BIPOC entrepreneurs in helping to start and grow their companies. Um, with that, Dan, is it okay if I go ahead and get us started? Indeed. Wonderful. Well, today I'm thrilled to be joined by Tracy McDaniel of TIP Strategies. We are going to talk about board management. Uh, for those who work with boards, we know that there's such great opportunities when working with boards, but we also know that there's some challenges. And we're going to dive into some of those challenges with Tracy today. So Tracy, would you mind sharing a little bit about your background? Because it is phenomenal and um, what you're currently working on. Hi, Laura. Hi, Dan. I'm really excited about being here with you guys today. Uh, a little bit about where I am, and I'll be brief. Uh, I'm currently the president of TIP Strategies, and it is a consulting firm that has been around about 25 years now. Uh, we've had over 500 engagements with clients across 44 states and five countries. Um, our mission is pretty simple. We engage and inspire community leaders to help people they serve and thrive economically, financially, and socially. So a lot to say, uh, our focus is around strategic planning, uh, workforce development, organizational development, and we do all of our work is data and research driven. Um, before that, I literally was in the nonprofit economic development world for almost 30 years and focused on tourism, economic development, and also business development and building strategic partnerships with the business communities. So that's allowed me to work for five different governors in two states, Texas and New Jersey. And in those roles, I was most often the founding CEO. So board development and organizational development, you know, I, I love to say that was my jam. And I loved working in that area. So I'm really excited today to talk about boards and how to engage them and make them more effective. And then some of the challenges that come along with having a, a board, large or small. Fabulous. Tracy, your background is so incredible. And I know that Dan, you wanted to start off with some questions about working with a board. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have had the honor and pleasure of working with a board uh, as president and CEO of, a, of an arm's length um, organization. And um, maybe to kick off, I'm wondering if you could share with us how you get um, collective vision or consensus on direction. You know, that, uh, to me, that's almost foundational. You can't really start working on X, Y, or Z until you have like agreement on, on where you're going. Um, maybe you could share your, your experience. That'd be great. Thank you. Sure. You know, I think that foundation is set by making sure that there is an understanding of the organization's mission and purpose. And whether it is a newly founded board of directors or one that has been established and that you are recruiting new board members, uh, it is very important that you articulate that mission and purpose. Um, I know that having uh, orientations of boards is critical in doing that. You know, we talked a little bit, I think, Dan, you mentioned that you have some expertise in strategic planning. This is where that's really important. Your your board is there to really help with that focus and found, creating that foundation and being the ambassadors, if you will, those champions of that organization. So I would start with uh, making sure that everyone is grounded in the mission and purpose and uh, whether that is uh, a refresher for current board members or in an orientation or some type of recruitment process as you go out there and seek new board members. That was, that was great, thanks. Uh, over to you, Lara. Thanks, Dan. Um, Tracy, you brought up a really good point, which is you're trying to get that board in collectively working towards the same goal. But when you have boards that are 15 people, sometimes there's board members that maybe don't want to come along. <laughs> how do you how do you encourage them to buy into the new vision? Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think engaging them and having them a part of that process is really important in either creating a vision or understanding the vision of the organization. Um, you know, board development starts way before those board members sign that agreement to say, I'm all in, I want to serve on your board. It starts during the recruitment process. So as you're communicating with boards, that mission and the foundation of the organization, its purpose, who you serve, what the response board members are, whether it's financial, whether there's even a fundraising component that's to that, or financially, are they obligated to write a check, if you will. All of those uh, start in the very beginning as you are out there recruiting and understanding your board, whether they are board members that are, are new to the process or are challenged or have challenges with the organizations or even the leadership of the organization. Uh, you, you have to start with building a relationship. All of this is about a foundation, getting to know people, uh, actively listening to those board members and understanding 
uh, on an individual basis, who they are, what they represent, what their goals are, how it aligns with that organization. The constant cadence of repeating the purpose of that organization, don't take that for granted. It is so important because it grounds everyone um, who is participating on the board. Uh, if you think of these leaders as participating in multiple boards in that community, uh, whether they're nonprofit, corporate boards, whatever they are, you know, don't take for granted that they are an expert in your organization. You have to constantly reinforce who you are, what the purpose is, why they are important to the organization, and also how they can be most effective. I love that, Tracy, that repeated cadence is, you're right, is so important. Um, and to our audience members, just a friendly reminder that down at the bottom, there is the hand raising. We absolutely encourage you to raise your hand. We'd love for you to interact with us. Um, so please ask questions um, or if you have additional thoughts you'd like to share. So with that, Dan, back over to you. Thanks, Lara. So I, I believe there's at least two types of boards. Uh, I, I can't quite remember the term or the other one, and, and you feel free to mention it. But the, the term that I do want to talk about is is the primary role of a board governance and or where does governance fit into the board? And if you want to elaborate, if you can think, I don't know if it's an operational board or operations board, but uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on a board's role and uh, specifically to governance and other things. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you. Uh, I think it's, in, if you think about the boards that we have experience with in economic development or a nonprofit that maybe we have volunteered uh, to support or even serve on their board, uh, governance is the first thing that comes up. But under that umbrella are so many things. And, and one, I go back to uh, making sure that those members understand the purpose and the mission of the organization, but also in some uh, some roles for an, um, a board is to select the executive director, that CEO, and, and that is very important. Uh, also, the financial oversight, uh, ensuring that there are all types of adequate resources available to that organization through those board members' network. And that could be either uh, fundraising or it could be business development. It could be helping in the marketing or understanding the culture of that ecosystem of the community or even the business community. Uh, I would also maintaining, add, maintaining accountability is very important in the world where everything needs to be transparent, whether it's a corporate, private board or public there is a, a level of responsibility that these board members need uh, in operating a nonprofit to make sure that they're compliant and accountable. Uh, the other thing I would add is to board members, their job is recruitment and to orientate new board members. So uh, being those advocates is really important because you have to equip them with the tools to do that job. And I think one of the most important things that our board should be doing and are doing is understanding and assessing the performance of that organization. And not only that, the performance of the executive in the organization. Uh, in so many 
cases, you know, uh, organizations or CEOs. And I found myself in this spot uh, when I was in a new market, New Jersey, didn't know anyone, got a job there, loved it, founding a, a new organization. I see Melissa's here. She was part of that team with me. But being the only one on the ground to be the face and the voice of that organization was too big of a burden. So you need to activate that board to be those ambassadors in ways when it comes to uh, being in the public, uh, public speaking opportunities, uh, engaging and understanding the organization enough where they can articulate that and understand how to connect either new resources, people to that nonprofit or the organization is very important. Monitoring the programs and the progress is another one and really supporting the executive and uh, doing a full assessment of his or her performance. Those are some of the key things that I see uh, as far as the role of a board and some of their responsibilities. That's, that's great and, and quite comprehensive. Is there anything a board should not be doing? I, I'd love to hear your take on that and or any experience you've had. You know, I think the most common thing that comes to mind when you think of a board that's kind of crossing the line is when they get in uh, the management of the organization and starts kind of leaning in the roles and responsibility of that executive, either the executive director or the CEO. And, and that's when you start getting the gray and that's when problems uh, can occur uh, in an organization when you don't have clear roles and responsibility. And the way you get there is through uh, the orientation. I mean, understanding that, reinforcing it, making sure it doesn't happen just one time a year, making sure every new board member understands it as they come on, get the other board members the, that are currently on the board engaged in the orientation process. So they are really champions. And also uh, uh, another thing you can do is they become watchdogs for you. They get to course correct a director if they are getting out of line. And that's part of the training. And so if you can uh, make sure that you've mobilized everyone and, and put them to work to do the job of making sure everyone is aligned in their uh, responsibilities, I think that's really important. Thank you, Tracy. Emily, it looks like you have a question. Yeah, one of the things you said that the role of the board is to provide guidance and oversight. I've been in my role for about two years, and I have about half the board, which doesn't really engage in meetings. And then the others who are relatively engaged expect me as the executive director to completely set direction. And I'm basically having to beg for feedback, which mm -hmm. is kind of awkward to me because I came straight from academia this role. How do you deal with situations like that? So did you have board uh, orientation set up, Emily? There were not orientation, but this is even from long-term members of the board, including a former chair and a current chair, where the goals of the organization, I had to fight to even get a strategic planning process approved, for example. Yeah. So when you talk about fighting, uh, your advocates on the board is, I, I, I hope it is the chair for one of them is. And then uh, because that allows you to 
have this very candid conversation with the chair of the board and to say that we we need a board that is more effective as far as engagement, uh, providing direction and come working with uh, that person to come up with a course of action. You know, one of my uh, biggest, um, I think, rules, if I will, for myself going into a new organization is have a strong relationship with that chair because that chair becomes, you know, we've all heard of that term, the kitchen cabinet, where you have this small group of trusted advisors. Well, I take that approach a little differently. My trusted advisor is layered. So I start with the board chair and really creating a trusted relationship with that chair where I could talk about challenges, even opportunities, and even other board members if there's a problem. And then there's a smaller group that I can uh, consult to uh, help if there's any challenges and you build from there. It goes into the executive committee, the full board, uh, any uh, committee roles, but having that kitchen cabinet and really confidence that you could work with the board chair is so important. I'll give you a good example. Melissa will know this, and I've talked about it often. In New Jersey, early on in the process, we thought um, the board and myself thought that it would be good to have a governmental relations person to help us guide the legislature. We knew that Christie had a strong Republican background but and, and support, but we wanted to make sure that economic development crossed party lines. Uh, it was about green, it was about jobs. Um, and, and so we uh, voted to bring on a lobbyist and uh, we were scolded by uh, higher ups in the state of New Jersey, public officials for bringing on this lobbyist. And literally there's a term uh, that uh, we got put in a penalty box. And that penalty box meant that we could not, we could not do our jobs until we fixed this action, which was to fire that lobbyist. And so the first thing, once I heard that, you know, that I was in trouble for one, as an executive, I thought, well, the first person I need to talk to is my board and chair and come clean about this and figure out how we address this issue. Um, and so, and the other thing I was hoping is that the board would took a, take an opportunity to take a stance because this is a new organization and the governance of that board is that board, not any over large oversight from another public official or anyone else. Um, and so the chair, we had the conversation very candid. We brought in the executive committee and they made a decision and it was that process, though, going from the board to the executive committee and then full uh, announcement to the board of the direction that we took was really important. But having that board chair there was critical and having a structure in place where you have trusted advisors you can talk to uh, that's part of the governance of the organization, but not necessarily taking those issues to the uh, board meeting is really critical. Emily, was that helpful? You're on mute, Emily. Don't know if you wanted Emily? to reply. 
You're right. Sorry. Okay. I, yeah, I closed my, I turned away from the app for a moment. No, I guess my chair is one of my off and on adversaries sometimes. So okay. he was the one who was most against the strategic plan, which is why I had to get our largest invest, two largest private investors to advocate for it. Okay. But, and he's like, we have a relationship where he'll stand up for me publicly if he needs to, but within the board, he's not the best at working with nonprofit boards. Not the most experienced and effective. Let's say that. So. So, so you, well, it's good you have your investors. Are any of those best investors on the board? These Emily? are two people on the board. One's our vice chair. Oh, one, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just been an, it's just been he he's more of the let's just do and then people will come later while the major investor leads a public utility essentially a co-op and then another one's a banker so they see it a little bit more and then it seems like the rest of the board is just afraid to rock the boat yeah. so if there's like a public issue they'll stand up for it and they've stand stood up for me in a situation i've been dealing with this week with one of our community members but it's just there's not a lot of direction yeah, hopefully you'll have the gift of time uh, when that board chair cycles off. Uh, and it sounds like you have a good relationship with the incoming chair or the vice chair uh, that maybe you can help in shifting that culture on the board. Yeah, that's a really good idea, Tracy. Jimmy, I saw you flashing. Um... I was applauding something that Emily said. <laughs> sometimes your chair and or others can can be adversaries you know i've worked with fantastic chairs and then i've worked with not so fantastic chairs and you know there's a certain amount of get up and go for lack of a better word um some people have that and some people don't and i think it's just some people have that vision for the community and economic developers development you know we are in nature not everyone in this career but we're we're somewhat um of a we're aggressive in, and i mean that in a nice way because mm -hmm. that's our job to go out there and get projects and bring them back and your board is rarely aggressive like that so making that match um is sometimes difficult for some of us so yeah yeah, I think that goes back in the culture of the organization too, Jimmy, how that uh, if you came into a culture that was like that, how do you shift it? How do you start aligning the leadership that is going to be in that chair, vice chair role that meets that aligns with the, um, the organization, uh, the CEO's leadership? Uh, that's a strategic way to think about it too is how do you start lining up your leadership to make sure you have the right people in place that is going to take that organization to the next level? Absolutely. It looks like we have another question coming up. Let's see if I can make this happen. <laughs> Maybe while we're waiting, uh, uh, Tracy, and since sure. uh, Emily brought it up, how important are strategic plans for uh, uh, boards and organizations? Yeah, I would say the strategic planning process and the plan itself is really crucial for an organization because it creates that roadmap 
uh, for it uh, to follow and to also course correct when needed. Um, there are so many organizations that uh, we've seen who have gone through this pandemic and they had strategic plans and they were able to take a look at that and look at ways that they could either create new strategies, do an assessment to see if it's still in alignment with the economy uh, as it is today, or do uh, a quick assessment to pivot and say, we need to change a course of action. Uh, it also provides clear direction for that board and that leadership. I'll go back to that. Uh, without some kind of roadmap for the board, all kinds of crazy things can happen. So you want everyone to align with the goals and strategies of that plan and understand what the finance, what the budgets need to be, if there's fundraising initiatives that need to happen, uh, or there new programming, new staff that needs to be brought on to meet the requirements or the recommendations of the plan. So the board needs to be 100% engaged and behind that plan and also uh, in adopting it. And it becomes that North Star for the organization. All right, Nalini, you had a question. Thank you, Lara. Hi, everyone. Hello. So I, hi. So I have this uh, one research, uh, one research with my friend uh, with the topics in board management. So, uh, but this board management is not an area of our expertise. So we got confused on the uh, theoretical foundation. Uh, so we, I want to know more whether we bring our research to the right platform. So uh, our research is in Indonesia, particularly related with um, in the cigarette company. So there's a lot of cigarette company uh, in Indonesia, particularly the huge one. So when we are doing the research that relate how is it board management able to increase company value, we find that most of Indonesian company, particularly the huge one that already listed in the Indonesia stock exchange, started from a family uh, company. So always the problem with family company that when they grew up uh, into this huge company and listed in the exchange, they have this problem of uh, conflict conflict uh, between family to family and then later on when they are big conflict of management either their son want to be part of the management either their cousins or something in uh, family relationship so uh, uh, i want to know whether we should bring this research into the uh, finance uh, in terms of agency theory or just stay into the board of management theory within the family uh, owner strip uh, structure theory or uh, you can uh, please kindly give me insight on what should we bring their theater theoretical background that's all my question thank you so much thank you well, I'm going to jump in because this is totally outside of my scope and maybe Laura and Dan can help because I know there are organizations that help in the transition of businesses and particularly at a corporate level uh, when they're transitioning from uh, a family governance structure to more of a public um, 
shareholders with a board of directors and um, I, I could not advise you one bit and would be afraid to go any further because I know it's such an important transition at this point. Yeah, I agree with you, Tracy. You know, I think the best thing to do is to contact um, an attorney or an accounting firm yeah. to assist you with getting true expert advice on, on that challenge. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, we, I, 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 we probably all, we are all a little reticent about using the word consultant. So along the same lines of the legal and the financial is there are probably some experts out in the marketplace that do transition organizations from family mm -hmm. to public accountability boards. And uh, I'm not sure how many there are, but they've, they've got to be out there. And I think that's the kind of guidance you need is, is, is an organization or consultants that have had experience doing that, you know, several times. That would be, you know, my best piece of advice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I see. Anyway, I don't know whether this question is out of context or not. Uh, do you guys believe, not believe, I don't know whether believe uh, is a proper word. Do you guys um, share or, uh, you know, can correlate it with theory? Uh, if company brings their uh, company listed in exchange uh, is to uh, minimize uh, the conflict of a family in terms of board of management. I don't know whether I put addressing this question properly. I hope you get my questions. Yeah. I know I wouldn't have an answer to that. Thank um, you. Thank you. I wouldn't either, Laura. That's one of those, I, I think it would still go back to our suggestions of finding the right resources to help in this transition. Uh, I wish I could be more helpful. Yeah, Malini, <laughs> those are those are great questions. I think they are a little, um, like appreciate you asking them. I think, you know, our expertise is, is boards uh, primarily on economic development organizations. Um, so yeah, I'll sort of leave it at that. Yeah. But again, you know, getting expert help is really important. So we wish you all the best, Malini. Um, and with that, um, let's go ahead and go back to our conversation, Tracy. Um, you know, we talked a little bit so about strategic plans. How important is it to update the board on any sort of major or small changes that you see coming to the plan? Yes, uh, I love this question because I think it's part of the, what you need to embed that as part of your process as you report to boards. Uh, most of us are very familiar with having board of directors meetings and, um, you know, in my experience, I would curate that agenda to include elements of the strategic plan. So uh, the board would have, the board agenda would have the goals of the plan and we would have an opportunity to report on those activities or report if there were any environmental challenges that we had to pivot or make changes or anything that would impact our progress or performance. So I think in embedding uh, that uh, board 
strategies and uh, the goals and making sure people understand the KPIs of that plan should be part of the normal reporting up to the board. Um, and, uh, and I found that to be very successful. And not only that, it creates this alignment where everyone is thinking about the same thing. It's almost conditioning, if you will. It's conditioning to the point where, all right, here's the mission of the organization, here's what we do. And people will seldom go outside of that if there's a consistent understanding of it. So it, it allow, allows for this alignment of the board, of the staff, uh, the messaging and communication is solely about the, the plan and, and all the work that it took to develop that plan. To that end, you know, we talked about trying to define the line between the board and staff. So how do you, when should you ask your board for advice? When should you make those decisions to inform them about changes? I think that, you know, in my practice, I am constantly asking my board for advice and asking them about changes or, or, or even just brainstorming about ideas. And like I said, that kitchen cabinet is so important, uh, whether those are one-on-one -on -one, uh, conversations with the chair of the board, trying to develop a relationship uh, with that person is really critical. Uh, or even rebuild a relationship. If there has not been one and there's one you need to rebuild or it, it has some tension, how do you constantly create a, a, a communications loop with that chair is important. And then I would have uh, some officers of the board that may be chairing committees that I would constantly be communicating with, uh, whether it's the finance chair, the audit committee, understanding exactly uh, what, the, what they're doing and also under uh, informing them of any impacts to uh, that committee and the operations of the organization. So the communications flow is often and it's active and I am constantly asking for advice of, the, uh, of that organization because I believe that's their role, that's their responsibility to be strategic advisors to that organization. And, and, and if there are times, you know, uh, and I know this is harsh, when they're not, you know, it's time to start looking at the cycling off of those board members when the terms are appropriate. Great, thank you. Mohammed. welcome to the stage. You had a question? Yeah, thank you very much for putting me in. I, I would like only to ask about, I work as, as a non-profit organization in Somalia, so, but I'm based in Norway now. So nice. I would like only to ask about how can you about avoid conflict of interest, for example, when, when you want to put the board on, on influential people or any politician. So how can you avoid conflict of interest? That's, that's only my, my question. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. I think one is the one important thing I would start with is having a conflict of interest policy for the board, and making sure that under everyone understands uh, and has access to that policy on conflict of interest, code of conduct, confidentiality policies, 
all of those things that uh, help in the governance of the organization. So I, I would start there. But Tracy, I think, could you agree that there's times where you just, there's no way to avoid conflict? I'm so... Can you have a board member disclose their conflict? Yes. In the, well, you know, what we've done is we've used the policy to do that. And we have a policy and a disclosure form that is part of each board packet. So each meeting they would have to sign. They already know what's on the agenda, right? So they would have to sign that disclosure form to say, is there an agenda item that's a potential or a conflict? And that slip, that form is accompanying to, is part of each board packet. Um, I've got a question on that, and it's been a while since I've been in a board, so I'm a little foggy because I sit in council meetings quite often. And in council meetings, they actually have a statement, so probably not unlike the form you're talking about, where they actually ask, is there a, a declaration of pecuniary, pecuniary interests, uh, et cetera? Um, yes. Does it happen verbally as well, or is it just a, a, a written uh, do a document, Tracy? I think it can happen verbally as long as it's recorded in the minutes. Great. Okay. And um, yeah, go ahead, Lara. Oh, no, I just wanted to make sure that answered Muhammad's question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Super. Wonderful. Thank you, Muhammad. Thank you. Um, so this is a great conversation, and, and uh, it's not that we, I think you've kind of implied it, uh, Tracy, um, but I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about um, do, do board members, should they have job descriptions? We talked a little bit about the role, governance, and, and many other things that you brought together. Do they need job descriptions, or is there some other form of a description um, for a board member? Thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's very important that they have job descriptions. And uh, just like the CEO needs a job description or that executive, so does that uh, board member. And there should be job descriptions for the officers of the organization, the board chair, the vice chair, the treasurer, secretary. Those are descriptions that would be part of that orientation packet to make sure everyone is very clear about their role and responsibility. Perfect. Um, Emily, kind of knowing that you have some challenges, uh, do you have job descriptions for your board? We do. Um, orientation is largely informal because we've been trying to get who's ever interested in active, but we do have job descriptions and every year when we do elections, we do circulate a job description document you pass it prior to, me, to the meeting and the elections. So Emily, I'm curious now, did you mention you have the a board orientation Pardon every me? year? We do not. Okay. Um, board members don't show up to it if we do have it. So I'm trying to figure out how to slip it into a meeting. Yeah how to make that. And, and I've had that experience before. You can, you know, they have so much time in a, a year to give you, you can make it the first part of that agenda of, uh, of the first meeting of the year or of your fiscal year. Yeah. I love that. Emily, how many board members do you have? I believe we have 13 right now. Our bylaws allow between seven and 21. 
Mm-hmm. So it's a good it's a good representative, but it's just we have board members who barely show up. We have board members who don't talk when they do show up, and their role <laughs> is like advisory behind the scenes or something. What is what is their term limits, Emily? I'm curious. We have no term limits, but we have three year terms. So that's actually on my to do list for this week or next. Go through the terms and see who's are expiring, and then ask them if they choose to um, renew their terms or if they choose to step back. Yeah, and because maybe it shouldn't be a conversation I have, but maybe it's for the chair to see if they should be reappointed. That's right, and and I would also suggest that part of the process in evaluating those either renewals of the uh, terms or another three years or however you look at it is there there was an evaluation of that member and you can evaluate whether they are financial you can evaluate their attendance you can evaluate their attendance to subcommittees things that that chair could see to say well this board member only is participating at a 50 percent level maybe we should consider a new candidate I think the problem that I'm running across is the optics. Like, I have a chair who is afraid to rock the boat politically or, like, they're afraid of, say, the hospital director isn't participating. Mm. They're afraid of the optics of not having someone on the board, for example. Or of what someone else could say if this could happen. It's a bunch of political games at points. Yeah, well, Tracy, that sort of gets me to another question is how important is it for board members to communicate with one another? Um, We heard Emily talk about how her board sometimes comes to meetings and doesn't participate. So is it important for board members to communicate with each other, not only in the meeting, but also outside of the meeting? No, I think it's so critical. When I was listening to Emily talk, the first thing I thought of is, it is so critical for that board chair and all of the officers and other members to have relationships with each other uh, and under and, and, and be friends. I know that sounds very simplistic, but it's only when that happens is that that chair or an officer of the board can have a conversation with someone and says, you know, you look like you're really busy this year and we need someone who's a little more engaged um, would you consider stepping down or would you consider increasing your engagement? Those are fair and easy conversations if you have a relationship. So the relationships are important. The communications are important. And, and trying to create that, um, that kind of um, relationship is also something a CEO can aid with. You know, you could have uh, meetings with a certain directors and uh, and the chair or just a way to get people more, even if it's a phone call. If you can't get them to a board meeting, and I heard you, Emily, maybe it's a phone call or maybe it's a Zoom call. You know, it, it's something that kind of causes this. How do we get to know each other uh, and so we can be um, champions for this organization? Tracy, is there value in board retreats? Yeah, to you get know, people together, but from a social standpoint, so that it's not just all business all the time, but they're developing relationships outside of the work of the organization. 
I think that's very important and it goes to that whole relationship building concept. I think it's also really important that the retreats are curated. I, I mean, they have to have a purpose too. And so um, having either a facilitator or someone help do that so you make sure that you accomplish all of the elements of it is critical. Uh, and it could be the networking, developing relationships. It could be strategic direction. Uh, it could look be looking at the structure of the organization for alignment. It could be looking for the big, bold-ass opportunities that are out there for the organizations, having visioning sessions on that. But all of that needs to be a part of that agenda so you uh, walk away with accomplishments. A question to follow up with that, how do you get over boards who don't think they need this stuff, that they think things are fine? Like, my worst piece of feedback to hear is you're doing well, keep doing everything you're doing, or, oh, we don't need it, oh, we don't need that, we wouldn't show up to it. Yeah, do you have any uh, evaluation process for the directors? Um, it seems like there's a somewhat informal performance review, but that's done by the executive committee who is already relatively engaged. Yeah, because usually that's the key. That's the key of getting, you know, here's your here's your scorecard uh, to know how you're performing with this organization and creating a culture for that. Can can I add to that a little bit? Um, I feel like the board feels like you are their employee, and so if you, they don't really want you evaluating them, they just want to evaluate you. So. I guess, well, how do you make that shift? Well, the evaluation of board members are the 360 amongst their peers, other board members. So you create an element. Uh, one of the duties of the executive committee could be board evaluation. It's part of their task. And then it's their job to do that on an annual basis. They create the scorecard. They do it all. It would not be something that the executive would do other than making sure the task is being completed by that executive committee or the governance committee? I, that's a great answer. Um, I could see that in small communities really going sideways, but um, <laughs> I like, I really like the concept of it and I think it's great, but um, yeah, that's tough. That's tough. This is, this is such a great conversation. I want to tie a, again, a point that was addressed earlier on uh, Tracy, have uh, I suspect you have because you talked a lot about it. Uh, have you done, uh, you know, board member orientations and maybe more uh, importantly, are they effective or how effective have you found them or what have you found to be effective? We'll leave that effectiveness in your court. Yeah, so I have found them to be effective. Uh effective and actually it's the beginning process of recruitment it, it helps us to understand it bring it's basically that first intro to the corporation um by to from these board members their potential board members they get to understand who the corporation is uh brochures uh understand their uh bylaws um any type of regulatory filings that they have, all of those policies that I mentioned earlier from conflict of interest, code of conducts, all of those types of things would be part of this orientation. One of the things that we did, and I've done a couple of things, I've created a 
a handbook that included all of those things that could be literally handed off a binder given to directors. I've had uh, virtual board portals that I've used that had those documents there available to the directors. And then there was an, uh, as part of this portal, it was really interesting. It gave the board members a certain time that they had to show a review of those documents and check it off. And so there was an accountability element to that portal. So if we didn't have their review or that check, if you will, we could go back and monitor it and make sure they got it. Um, the other things that become part of that handbook or portal are just who the other directors are, encourage them to communicate, contact information. One of the, uh, the contact information of the staff, any strategic plans, operational plans, audits, uh, board liability policies, current uh, budgets, annual reports, all of those things were available and created that kind of culture of transparency. Um, it also kind of level set everyone on the history of the organization. Uh, a couple of times we've even included past agendas and some minutes uh, from the organization so the board could see uh, and be brought up to speed with uh, activities and, and the history. Uh, so those are some of the things that I think have worked um, and uh, to hold the board members accountable and just not only that, but uh, orientate them on the organization and meeting of each other, if you will. Uh, as part of it. I've had these orientations face-to-face -face, or like I said, I've done them electronically through uh, portals. And in many times there was at least the officers of the organization that were there implementing the orientation. It was not led by staff. And that's the other part that I think is really important that it needs to be peer-to-peer. I love that, the peer-to-peer -peer conversation. Uh, you're right, I think too often as directors of organizations, we we try to um, be the leader and do everything, including the orientation. So I love the fact that you're saying it should be led by other board members. Um, Tracy, one last question, because it's hard to believe we're coming up at one o'clock already. Mm. Um, diversity, equity, and inclusion have really come to the forefront of recruiting boards and staff. What are some of the best practices you've seen uh, in identifying and retaining diverse talent on boards? You know, some of the things that you see, and everybody's talking about this in boards and making sure that their board of directors represents their customers, their communities. And I think un using your board network to uh, help identify the uh, areas of for inclusion, if that makes sense. So doing a full board assessment of um, the population, I used to call it board mapping. I would have our research team or I would have someone, myself or someone, to basically map the demographics of our board. And that is includes gender, education, uh, where they're from, their companies, other boards that they've served on, um, race, uh, their college, where they graduated from. All you, you see where I'm headed. 
So I get to know every everything in their network as much as possible that could help trigger opportunities. So if I knew I had a board of director that graduated from Baylor University and I had a prospect that I was courting and their CFO went to Baylor, I had a connection. If I was trying to work with another organization and uh, I really needed uh, a contact to, I'm making it up, workforce boards and I had a director that sat on that workforce boards that gives me an end. So having that information is so important. Once I map out the demographics, I you see where the gaps are. You see if there are uh, ethnic gaps. You see if you have gaps in gender. Uh, you see if you need to go out and look at some of these non-traditional partners or organizationals, other stakeholders that really need to be a part of your organization. So the first step is understanding your board and understanding those demographics. And then you identify the gaps. And then you work with your board of directors and their networks to help fill those gaps of the needed areas over the next year or over that next cycle for recruiting new board members. And that has been very effective. Uh, it also creates a, a dynamic where it's more inclusive. We're just not talking about black or white, male or female. It gets really into the dynamics of the community and also uh, uh, making sure that uh, diversity is, you know, just beyond those very small areas. Do you think it's helpful to sort of define specific board roles um, that then allow you to kind of help fill in with people? I'm not sure I understand. Tell me, what does that mean? So, you know, I, I remember starting a Main Street program many years ago and we said, geez, you know, we need a banker. We need a small business owner. We need a mm -hmm. restaurateur. Um, and so we identified these board roles and then looked at how we can find diversity to help fill in these identified roles. Yes. I, so I, is there I, value in having roles for a board? Role or like I, I, I go back to demographics too. So the demographics could be the same. Top employer or uh, we want someone who is uh, over the hospital or, you know, those kind of. Absolutely. There is a, a place for that. And I think it can be very effective. Wonderful. Well, Tracy, as always, I learned so much from you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you'll come back and join us for another Clubhouse chat. Oh, absolutely. I see Luke here. I want to give him a shout out. Luke's from TIP Strategies. But thank you guys, Dan, Laura. This has been great. And thanks for doing this effort. Of course. Dan, you want to wrap us up? Sure. Um, that was great, Trace. And I uh, wanted to thank everybody for coming. As always, we have shows Wednesday noon Eastern Standard Time and Fridays at 3 p.m. Uh, more of a heads up, but Bob, Lara and I were strategizing a little bit and we're gonna keep the format the same for Wednesdays. And um, coming in the near future on Friday afternoons, they're gonna be a little more free flow conversational we're looking for our, our followers and our audience to bring questions and ideas and and we'll see how that goes and Lara is uh, is uh, what is happening this Friday at 3 p.m. this Friday we're going to have the third installment of supply chain with Alia Abbas 
uh, from Toronto Global. So that should be a great conversation. And again, this is the third part of the three-part series on supply chain. Wonderful. And next Wednesday, do we want to give people a heads up? I don't have my calendar in front of me. You're the expert. Yes. Next Wednesday, we're going to do a case study on how Innisfil used Uber um, as part of their public transportation system. Wonderful. Well, I wanted to thank everybody for coming. Uh, look forward to seeing you this Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and next Wednesday at noon. Have a great day, everybody. And thanks again, Tracy. It's great to see you. Great to meet you, Tracy. Thank you. You guys take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.